welcome to this podcast series on neo-charismatic leadership with author, leadership expert and coach, Dr. Gada Angawi and executive leader, Martin Headley, where they will both explore the recently published book, Neo-Charismatic Leadership and the coaching topics it covers. Okay, Gada, now that we know um, who these neo-charismatic leaders are and what the prerequisites are for their leadership, um, what does a neo-charismatic leader do? Um, Or, you know, how is the group or the organization that is affected by them affected? Yeah, and thank you for asking this question. A neo-charismatic leader, what they do is really three things. They evaluate, they create they transform. They are driven by a need to assess and evaluate a situation, come up with solutions, specifically creative new solutions, and execute these solutions by you know driving transformation and movement forward. So if a new charismatic leader walks into a room, they don't just improve the look of the place. First of all, they look at the place, what needs to be done here, but they don't just add a plant there or a nice rug that makes the place look nice. They don't look for improvement. It doesn't satisfy them. They assess the situation or the space in terms of functionality. How can I make this um, work for everybody? What can be done here? They'll take all the furniture out, repaint the room. They might even demolish a wall to, to, to create a new space with another room. They might move the window. <laughs> if they can, they'll, they'll actually do things with the ceilings. And then they'll create it from scratch uh, because they think that if you just put improvement on a current situation, it might improve it for a while, but it's not going to serve the functionality for the changing context. They can see the external and internal factors in play ahead of everybody else, which makes their solutions not just improvement. Okay, so the first thing that strikes me um, in your comments there is that um, a neo-charismatic leader is really looking for a radical solution. A little bit of change just doesn't seem to interest them. Which, you know, when you relate that back to, to my original question, how is the organization affected by them? The fact is that the, the organization or the group can be fundamentally changed by them. And I think that's important to remember all the way through as, as we, um, uh, as we continue in this journey. You mentioned the evaluate, create and transform sequence, which I really liked because, um, from, you know, from what I've seen, it, the strongest leaders that I've ever been involved with have done exactly that. They haven't waited for anybody to come and tell them what's wrong. They, they've taken a lot of input, but, you know, because your analogy is you walk into a room, you can physically see what's wrong. When you walk into a new organization, for example, you can't always physically see what's wrong, but they do this. They, they evaluate and then they create a totally new vision, usually by themselves Mm-hmm. And then they start to share that with others, get others involved, and that's when the transformation begins. So, it, you know, it it is a stage, but I think there's an overlap 
because, you know, some people might still be trying to understand the new vision at the same time as others are ready. Oh, I understand it and I'm ready to go. Mm. Um, so a near charismatic leader has to deal not only with all three stages, but also with the, the integrations in between each stage. And that, mm-hmm. that certainly does, um, explain a lot of what I consider to be incredible patience of the best leaders that I've worked under, you know, that to me, I was usually the person that immediately saw the great idea and thought, oh yeah, we've got to go and do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was one of the first adopters to go out and give it a try. Um, And I could never understand back, you know, years ago, could never understand why a leader would be willing to say, Mm. okay, but these people aren't on board yet. We've got to get them on board. And I'm like, well, no, let's just go and do it anyway. Mm. Um, (laughs) <laughs> no, that's, yeah. you know, now, of course, you know, I realize, and I do the same thing myself. I, I bite my tongue I do whatever I need to do, but I think, okay, I haven't brought this person along with me yet. So mm-hmm. there's no point in doing full scale transformation until I do. So what you've just described, um, definitely describes the best leaders that I've worked with and under. And thank you for for adding this. It explains a lot in terms of how they like to carry people on board. Remember, they're altruistic. So they believe whatever solutions they're bringing, whatever creation they're going to create, it's all about serving the greater good of everybody. They want to involve everybody. So that's uh, an integral part because their transformation is not for the sake of transformation itself. It's not because they like to change. Um, they think this will bring more benefit to the organization. And, and we'll talk about this in stage one in detail. This is what stage one is about, a combination of external and internal factors that they immediately perceive in a situation. And it's also a combination of people perception of uh, of these solutions, of what needs to be done, people dreams, people aspirations. And this is where the influential part comes. They are influential in terms of having not only to transform the organization or the workplace, but also transcending people from a current situation to a different situation where people start tapping into their creativity, getting inspired and feeling enthusiastic about being uh, in, in this workspace. Yes, yes. Okay, that makes sense. So what you're describing, what I'm hearing you describe here is a sort of context for how it all starts. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, in which context, are there different contexts, in fact, for each stage when it should take place? Yeah, there are different contexts. A leader as an individual contributor or on their own, they still want to improve and they still want to evaluate and they still want to create the best out of every opportunity they see and they have. They start uh, contributing to social organizations in in, in their life outside work. They want to make the world a better place. So they think what needs to be done in this neighborhood, what needs to be done in uh, in this city, what needs to be done in in, in my country. (laughs) They're always looking for new opportunities to evaluate, create and transform. Okay, so... The context then um, suggests to me that uh, it can very often start before one actually joins the organization or the group. So you could actually be forming an organization or a group in order to make this change. 
um, which which mm-hmm. is pleasing to me because, as I've said before, I think several times, um, you know, I hate that leadership development has focused so much on organizational leadership, which people tend to um, equate to big corporations, government, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when it isn't, it, it, you know, what we're trying to do here is um, empower the individual wherever they are and in whatever context they find themselves. You follow these three yeah. steps and you build the prerequisites of neo-charismatic leadership. And there's, then there's yeah. no reason to stop you. Yeah. And, and remember, they have their prerequisites, self-awareness, they're visionary, and they're empathetic. So these three elements, they provoke them to be aware of their own emotions and thoughts. And immediately the vision kicks in. They think about others because there is a balance between my own self-awareness and and being empathetic with others. And the vision is like the focal point. It brings the two together. And all of a sudden, this person becomes engaged with this context that they exist in. If they're individual contributors, as I said, they immediately look for opportunities, how they can reach out to the community, offer help, become part of, of what's going on. And actually they could be immediately leading even without becoming leaders. And now with the social media, they gather people around them, they speak on social media, and all of a sudden they have all these followers and they become influencers, regardless of what is the context is. Yes, I agree. I, I think that's the power of it. I, you know, I, the um, the power of social media, you know, good, bad or indifferent, but, you know, this is one of the good powers of social media is that it allows everybody the opportunity to lead. And all you have to do is recognize that there is a need for a change and and start to influence mm-hmm. others. So, yes, anyone, you don't you don't have yeah. to be in an organization. Uh, so if any of our listeners are out there thinking, oh, you know, I'm not part of a big company or I'm not part of a government, it, it really doesn't matter it anymore. Doesn't matter, no. The Internet and social media has has set us free. And um, in a way that, uh, you know, I don't think some of even the big establishments have realized yet. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, this is manifest by yeah. the fact that many big organizations and governments get sideswiped by, you know, really powerful movements that have started exactly like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yes, I, I agree that, I you know, I don't see any other way for transformation to take place. And I encourage it. I think that is, in fact, the best way transformation ought to start from now on is is people just seeing a need and moving yeah and and once they are engaging with others in a relationship they start immediately forming a team they start influencing people in a way that people values click with them and once the values are aligned uh, unintentionally even if they don't know about this even if they're not thinking about the values they immediately are aligned and that becomes the team mm-hmm uh, and immediately you see the movement, yes. the energy, and people volunteering to do things with them. And they just create that momentum that doesn't stop. And if it fails or hit a wall, they create another opportunity. It's just ongoing. Yes, that, that seems to me to be the resilience that is required because you know, most of us have good ideas. Um, probably everybody in the world has at least one magnificent idea a year. Um, so the evaluate stage makes a lot of sense. You know, people can say, Oh, this is wrong or I don't like that. I, I can, I can come up with something better. But of course, as soon as you start to talk to people about your idea of something better, 
they then come back to you with with how they see it from their perspective, which of course could be different. So they might intrinsically agree with what you're saying. They may have some concerns about the detail. So one of the things that we have to do is build that resilience in individuals that want to lead to understand, you know, you're going to face this. People will challenge mm-hmm. you. People will question you. People will suggest alternative ways of doing it. Um, and for you to realize that that is the benefit that if you can get that person on board with you, you now have a much stronger picture of yes. what to create. And again, as the movement grows, then what to transform. Yes, there is this bit of a challenge. It is what makes them um, enthusiastic about implementation of their ideas. Once there is a challenge, they know that they're moving forward. Mm-hmm. If there's no challenge, there is no resistance. That's what makes new charismatic leaders different. So, you know? so in effect, <laughs> if, you, if, if you're not willing or if the challenge then dampens your enthusiasm and causes you to stop, then clearly you're not a neo-charismatic leader. No, no, no you've got you to can. realize yeah. that you've got to get above and beyond this and that also every leader ever has always gone through this process. So don't worry. It's c- quite normal, <laughs> yes. right? Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I get that. So, so how do the 10 behavioral roles, um, the, how are they distributed and you know are they linear are they cyclic or parallel because you know we talk about the three phases um but then of course there are there are bits in the middle aren't there yes so stage number one is the search for opportunity where the leader evaluates to find out what opportunity there exists that can happen for them to make a transformation and stage number two is the creation of the opportunity with others so it's the formulating a shared vision and stage number three is devising means for implementation for achieving the vision and this is where the transformation the actual transformation happens and you see leaders in actions and we will talk about uh, 10 behavioral roles in in the three stages three in the first two in the second and then five uh, in the last stage. They overlap. Sometimes it's small cycles. Sometimes it's large cycles. But I describe this in my model like um, an orbit. They create an orbit of three stages around them where they run in each orbit simultaneously while the other is still ongoing. And the leader actually is traveling between these orbits constantly. Mm-hmm making sure that everything is running well over there, but they don't remain in one orbit. They they move from one area to another yes. and they create another orbit of three stages around that area. So look at it from a 360 or multidimensional perspective where it becomes something tangible and moving around you. The organization is transforming, but you get into the departments and you go into the divisions and you, you even visit people and create around each person their own orbit of three stages. And how do you do this? This is the the amazing part. How do you do this? It creates energy in people. Yes, I can see that. You know, it's it's fun actually to uh, <laughs> to feel that energy. Um, whether you're the leader or you're the follower, doesn't matter. Um, but you know, there there is a certain sense that you're really going to enjoy what's coming next, even if you don't know what it is. And and I think that's that's a reflection <laughs> yes. of it. So, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And for me to observe these leaders and, and interact with them, it created momentum in my own life as I was researching and as I was coaching. And I, I come back with more energy than I had before the interaction, which means what they have transfers to others. I'd like the listeners to uh, see how this energy transcends to others and how we as followers with these leaders tend to learn from them and role model their behavior. Uh, I think uh, we're about to you know, reach the end of this episode. I'd like the listeners to uh, follow through the coming episodes. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Martin, for um, the beautiful episode and looking forward to our next. See you soon. Thanks, Gada. Bye-bye. Gada and Martin, hope you enjoyed this episode. There is more information available at neocharismaticleadership.org. And if you would like to discuss coaching or training for yourself or your team, you can contact Garda and Martin through the website. We look forward to your participation next week. Until then, goodbye.